to all of my amazing insemination listeners. Just giving y'all a heads up, Eve's sound is a little bit funky for the first 12 minutes of the podcast, but then we realized there was an issue and fixed it immediately, and then it was smooth sailing for the rest of the podcast. I apologize for the sound issues in the beginning of the podcast, but I promise it clears up very quickly. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Insemination. I know that I'm not supposed to have favorites, but this next guest is an absolute favorite of mine. This next guest is a donor-conceived person who has spearheaded the fertility fraud legislation. If I had to pick the Captain America of donor-conceived people, I'm probably going to pick Eve. Um, And without any further ado, let's welcome on Eve Wiley. Eve Wiley, welcome to Insemination. How are you doing today? How are you? Thank you for having me on. Well, it's always my absolute pleasure. I uh, have quite quite a, a love for for you and all the work you do. What you have done is absolutely amazing and inspirational. I think I talk about you on my TikTok probably more than anyone else. I fangirl okay a lot. <laughs> well, the feeling is very much mutual, especially when you're in your sperm suit. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's what, like when you and I are like at our highest is like when you're in like your full pink garb and I am standing next to you in my sperm suit. I feel like, yes. Yeah. I feel like that is when like you and I are like the power couple of donor conceived people. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it too. So for anyone who is listening, Eve Wiley is the person who has spearheaded the fertility fraud legislation, who has put this on the map and get the legislation moving in the right direction. So the donor conceived community, oh my God, owes a freaking debt to Eve Wiley and all future recipient parents owe Eve a debt of gratitude. What you are doing in terms of preventing sexual assault is huge. That is the most important thing to recognize. And what I would love to start with is how did this whole thing start? I'd love to trace back to the beginning of your story, which is your donor conception, because you, are, of course, are donor conceived. Uh, right. what year was your, so what year was your conception? So my conception was 1986, and I was born in 1987. I'm from a really small town in East Texas, uh, rural America. It's called Center. And my parents struggled with infertility. And as was the standard kind of thinking at the time, um, when it came to donor conception, is you don't really tell them about it. Everything is, you know, there's so much secrecy around infertility and so much shame. And so what um, my parents did is they went to Dr. Kim McMorris Nacogdoches, and he handed them a donor list after they were unable to conceive naturally. Um, handed them a donor list, and then also did a test on my dad's sperm, and then determined that there was secondary male infertility um, factor, is what he had. And so they went through that list from California Cryobank, and they selected donor 106. And it was interesting because donor 106 was the exact opposite physically from my dad. Um, really, and and that's the one that they used. And so she went in every month. Um, sometimes she would go in twice a month for inseminations and did that for several, several months. And then they finally conceived me. And then when I was four months old, they were pregnant again, but this time it was naturally and with my, my dad's uh, biological child. So that is kind of where it all started is, um, is, is that. And, and they were told by the doctor, don't tell her that she's donor conceived. She doesn't Ugh. need to know. I know. I and that. I mean, I, mean, I know that, that that was standard practice at that time. And there are still doctors to this day that still do that. But it's just like mm-hmm. the, the, 
it's kind of like we look back now and we realize like, oh, y'all were just trying to cover your own ass. Like that's what you were trying to do. This was not, like I genuinely, I, I, I genuinely do not believe that they were thinking about the good of the child. They were just trying to cover their own ass because the less people knew, the less information we had, the less we would be inclined to investigate um, and figure all this crap out that we have been figuring out over the past few decades. But what it, in what way was your donor different from your, your social father? The physical characteristics, there was one line that they had, and that one line um, had his physical characteristics, his education um, level, and and blood type. And so all of those things were the exact opposite. Donor 106, who I now call, you know, Dad Steve, um, he was blonde hair, blue eyes. And then my social father, he was really tall. He had this dark olive skin complexion, uh, dark brown hair and brown eyes. So just like complete opposites. Social dad was a calculus professor and Steve donor 106 was a editor and interested in politics. So just complete opposites in every single way. But, um, to your point, yes, you know, this, and still to this day, this entire industry operates under this cloak of, um, anonymity and secrecy. And behind that just really makes it a right fertile ground for fraud. And we're figuring that out decades and decades later. It really is. Okay. So you were conceived in Texas, but you guys bought the sperm from California Cryobank, uh, which is arguably the, you know, one of the largest banks worldwide uh, to this day. And so you were conceived and you are here now. You grew up in Texas. And what would be then, what would you consider the next step in your, I would say your knowledge of your donor conception? Like what year, how old were you when you found out? Well, when I was, I guess I should say this to you, my, uh, my social father died when I was seven. So in talking with my mother, um, she was a nurse. And she recognized in that moment really how important medical history was because now my little Mm. sister was going to have to get heart echoes because my father died from cardiomyopathy. And she was wondering, well, what does Eve need? And so she started this, um, I call it the Yahoo process. She was on Yahoo Messenger <laughs> Board. This is like before before all the things. And, and she's on Messenger Boards. And so she was gathering as much information as possible. And she was printing it out. And she gave me this folder that was like this big. Um, it was this green folder. She printed out every email and every conversation she had. And so she was doing this um you know, scaffold for me. And she's like, I didn't know how to tell you when you were seven, because you weren't really understanding the concept of death. So how were you going to be like, um, well, that's not your real dad, because your biological father is a sperm donor. I've never met him. I don't know who he is. It's like, I get that in the midst of grief. And, you know, I, I, I get that. So but how I found out is she had contacted California Cryobank. And she was a our school nurse. And I had this habit of going through her emails when I was younger, trying to like get all the juicy off from my cohort. Or if a teacher was like, hey, Eve didn't turn in an assignment, I would just like delete it. Nice. Um, nice. Well done. And so I found the emails to California Cryo Bank. And, um, and at first I thought, you know, we're on a farm, farm girl over here. I thought she was looking at 
like bull sperm for my grandfather's cattle business. And so oh my god! Information <laughs> <laughs> like I knew what it was. But I'm like dying sperm, sure you have to do that for you know the bulls and cattle and all that stuff. Um, but it was when I saw my birth date that I was like, oh my god, this is me. And it was the moment of my entire life. I knew there was a secret. I just didn't know that I was the secret. I never looked oh, like anyone. Shit. I never. I know, right? Like diving deep to that one, and, and that, that unknown finally, like everything made sense. I wasn't the product of an affair. I wasn't adopted. Um, I this was like my truth, and so that family secret was so protected. And and my mom treated me differently subconsciously because she had this profile yeah. of the donor, and so she was pushing me towards um literature and you know politics and reading, and she was pushing my sisters towards math and science, and so it was this kind of forced narrative um that was really confusing kind of growing up, but in that moment made sense so found out when I was 16 and then from there we had to go get my mother's medical records um from the doctor and the plan was is when I turned 18 I would submit those medical records to California cryobank they would cross check the purchasing records of that doctor to the medical records and then they would attempt to put us in contact and so that's what I did I submitted it I wrote my letter to the donor and um, I was really um I will say this now. I was just this little, I was very naive. In my mind, I was never going to be rejected by my biological father. Um, I just had this very Disney princess outlook on everything. It was all going to work out and be wonderful. And, Mm -hmm. um, and in a lot of ways it was for many, many years, it was like this. And the cryobank was able to make contact with the donor and, um, which was amazing. I wrote the letter and it's so funny reading it now because it's like, I heard so many horror stories, right, of, of being rejected. And so I was like, I'm mentally stable and financially secure. Like I don't, I need my medical information, but also kind of have some questions. And I just like listed a million questions for him. And he is just the most amazing person. He being donor 106, Steve. And um, we just began this beautiful father-daughter relationship. And I started calling him dad. We say, I love you. My kids call him Papa. Um, And then when I decided to get married, he officiated our wedding. And so it was very much a fairy tale story. And he spends, you know, holidays with us and um, he talks to my mom. And so, you know, I was really, I felt very fortunate and very lucky that um that I was able to have a relationship with my biological father that's I mean I I feel like I I always want these kind of stories to like sort of go out there about donors that it's I mean I know your story is like we're about to go into phase two and the and the complexity is about to uh, up a little bit but I I do but the way that your donor reacted, uh, the way that Steve reacted is so kind. It's so compassionate. And I really wish more donors had that level of awareness and that kind of heart that your, that your donor, that your donor had, because I think that that's so important. And the level of positive that that can have on, you know, their biological children is quite big. Because it's, I, I know that like people really, really hate thinking of a their donor conceived child as their biological child. I know the 
clinics work very hard at separating that. You do not look at them as at your biological child. Um, I mean, I've had fights with donors online where they're like, those aren't my kids. And I'm like, technically they are your biological children. Like, uh, like let's not mince words. They are, they are your biological child. You didn't raise them but they are. Um, and so I'm just so happy to hear that your donor, I'll, uh, you know, basically w- made those steps and, and look at this gorgeous relationship that came from it. But we're about to take some twists and turns. Um, so let's everybody, you know, this is your warning. This is your trigger warning now. Grab your popcorn, get your, uh, get your like weighted blanket now because you're going to need it. So continue on to phase two. You need all of your self-regulatory tools for this part of it. Okay, so part two. Like every fairy tale story, there is that dark twist somewhere, and mine is no different. Um, when I had my first child, Hutton, he was presenting with these crazy medical things that um, that weren't just really making sense. And I was getting a lot of feedback from doctors like, you're a first-time mom. Um, I think they thought that I was exaggerating a lot of his symptoms. Um, so I know that was I, a whole I other hate, frustrating I thing. Hate, I hate when they do that. I hate it when they do that. Oh, nope. Mm-mm. It was... It was really, really frustrating. Um, But ultimately, what we figured out as we were working with this, um, we thought maybe he had an absorption issue. And so we were working with this this doctor, and he works from a genetic expression and variations. And one of the things he told us was like, hey, take 23andMe plus health. I'll get, you know, the raw data and whatever that means, and, and I'll look at his profile. That was just one of the tools. And so we did, and he called, and he was like, hey it looks like he has celiac disease. And I'm like, what is celiac disease? I had no idea. He's like, well, someone in your family, on, and it's yours, Eve, because I'm looking at your profile, um, has celiac disease. And so he explains to me the whole autoimmune disorder and how it's hereditary. And and that's what it was. He had celiac disease. Um, but with the 23andMe plus health, um, you can look at the ancestry side. I always knew that I was going to have half siblings out there, but California Cryobank had said that I was one of the older ones. And so, you know, in between having a really sick child and at the time being in my mid twenties, I wasn't super focused on half siblings yet. Um, but I did come across some half siblings, but the way that it reads on the website is it would say, um, close family to first cousin. So it doesn't come out and say, because of the Cinemorgans, um, this is your half-sibling. And it was actually my mom that was like, Eve, those are half-siblings. So I reach out to one. Well, first thing I do is I call dad. And I'm like, hey, dad, um, I know our relationship is you know, very special, and I don't want to project our relationship onto anyone else. I want you guys to decide what works for you. Um, you know, for me, I didn't have a social father to be protective of. And yeah. so because I didn't have that, I was able to really go like, you know, wills off into this. Um, and so I was like, I just don't want to be the middleman. Mm-hmm. So I told him to take the DNA test. Um, and then I connect with one of them and Bless his sweet little heart. I just didn't think that he really understood the, um, like, how we were conceived. And so he's from my area in my hometown. Um, he had the same doctor. 
And he was he was convinced that the doctor was our biological father. And I was like, no, I know who our biological father is. And so I was just like, you just, he was the doctor. He's not the donor. It's just so different. It's like, bless your sweet little heart. That's just not, that's mm-hmm. not it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and then I connected with another one. And, but he was 13 years older than me. And so, you know, this whole time, all these red flags, right, are just coming at me. But, you know, cognitive dissonance is an amazing thing (laughs) because I know who my biological father is. I'm like, red flags, just like, you know, reflecting him everywhere. Cognitive dissonance is a hell of a drug. I mean, it is. It's wild. I'm like 13 years older. The bank said I'm the oldest one. Whatever. So, um, so I talked to him and he doesn't know who the donor is, you know, he's from Texas, you know, this whole thing, but also I'm excited. I have half siblings. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. And so then I, um, try and find the third one and the third one, he's, he's not on social media anymore. So he's a little bit harder to track down, but I find him on LinkedIn. And so I send him this message. It's late at night. And um, I'm like, hey, give me a call. Like, you know, are you the person that's on 23andMe that I'm related to? And he's like, I'll call you tomorrow. It's probably a little, you know, weird to explain to my wife why I need to get out of bed at 11 p.m. to call another woman. And I was like, (laughs) oh, yeah, totally get that. Um, That's fine. I think I'm your half-sister. Well, my phone immediately rings. He's like, okay, you have my attention now. And, um, and I go through the whole thing, you know, here I am thinking I'm dropping this bomb on him that he's donor conceived. And it starts out like, you know, how most of us, when we have new siblings pop up, um, where we have to, they, they don't think they're donor conceived. We go through the whole thing. And, um, and so I'm like, okay, I'll humor you. Let's just go look at our website and look at the connection. So we go back and look, and I was like, okay, so if you think that we're first cousins, then one of your uncles is my biological father. Is your uncle Steve? And he was like, no, I have one uncle, and his name is Kim McMorris. My world stops. Because Kim McMorris is my biological father, and that was my mom's fertility doctor. And in that moment... I knew that that was true. And all those red flags that I had been, oh you know, deflecting and all those things, um, there's only <laughs> – DNA doesn't lie. People lie. And that's what I was looking at. And then it became very quickly this, both of us um, realizing at the same time what that meant. And then it was like, uh, what are you going to do with this information? I was like, I want my medical information. And then we hung up, and then and then the rest is history. But um, – but yeah, that that is is when I found out, and and just like when I was, which I don't even think I went over this, sixteen years old, I was thirty years old, starting over for the third time in my life, um, with my genetic identity, and I'm just sitting there wondering who the fuck am I? Oh and my, my mom was actually oh in the God. house with me, and I had to go tell her this information and and I had that moment <gasps> oh of, my god you had to be the one to tell her you had to be the one to tell her oh yes. my god but not just oh. her I had to be the one to tell to tell Steve I had to be the one and and so I really kind of went through this this extra layer Shit. of you know processing this um these deep feelings of oh my god my existence is hurting people that I love And that was really this kind of existential crisis. I had to do so much work of separating the deception around my conception 
and um, and the feelings and relationships that I have with with the people that I love the most. And so, and that was tough, but I I kind of well, I had a glass of wine, I finished <laughs> it, <laughs> and that was the fork in the road. Was like, okay, so like I could pretend like this never happened. And um, I could carry this secret <laughs> and like everything would be normal and fine. And I don't have to deal, the, deal with this and put my head in the sand. But, you know, that's just that's just not who I am. And I ran upstairs and I immediately told my mother and my in-laws were there and my sisters were there. I mean, it was. Oh, my God. It was I, it, I was very I was a little dramatic about it. I'm not going to lie. Um, well, and I, I my mom feel- didn't believe me. I, I, okay, can, can we just take a second to say, this is a situation where drama is validated. Like, that is an understandable reaction there. Like, that is, like, I, I feel like, yes, no, we can do a full Greek tragedy at this moment. Like, get the cloaks, get the get the staffs. Oh, yeah. Get the masks. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, I, I feel like that is appropriate response. Okay, so you're, but your mom didn't believe you, which, again, uh, you know, obviously frustrating on your part, but I also can like understand from her standpoint, her just going, no, 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 no. I can, I can get that. Yeah, she didn't. And, and she, he would never do that. I mean, he was the hero in our story and he gave mm-hmm. us, you know, you and, you know, the, all, all the things. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, but now I know she was in shock and yeah. she was physically shaking and, um, and, and it was really hard. She couldn't like process the new information that I was giving yeah. her. So she was asking the same questions over and over again. And, um, and it was, it was really hard to be the one to deliver that news to her. And, um, yeah, that was, that was what, telling my mom and telling Steve were two of, you know, obviously the hardest parts, but, but then that, that whole week was gathering information. Um, because I knew in that moment that, you know, I was going to have to be the gatekeeper to the secret. So I was never going to have the opportunity to have a real and authentic and genuine relationship with my real biological father. And, um, unless I kept his secret, right. I would always be wondering if he was acting a certain way because he was afraid that, you know, I would spill the beans or something. And so it, I knew that I really had to, um, to, I had to make a decision and I had to make this um, bigger than myself. And it was when I got off the phone with attorneys and they were like, there's nothing. You don't have a civil cause of action in Texas and you don't have a criminal cause of action in Texas. We can attempt to go to the medical board, but you have a statute of limitations issues. And that pissed me off. Because when I look at this, my mother was sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. people get really upset when I say that. And I want to break it down like this because I think it's important. This woman in the 1980s went into his office. He prepped her cervix, which means digital, digitally penetrating her to get her ready for an insemination in an IUI. He went into the next room. He masturbated to procure his sample. Under state of arousal, he went back in and he deposited his semen inside of her without her knowledge or consent. And in the United States, we do not define what consent is. We define what consent is not. And so when we talk about, and this is what pisses me off about these doctors, they're like, well, it's an anonymous donor. You're not anonymous to yourself. And so he was not an anonymous donor, especially when the medical records say donor 106, and he falsified those medical records. 
And so um, after learning that, um, I decided that I was going to go change the law. Now, I didn't know anything <laughs> about politics. I can't but I put on my pink L Woods, and just like L Woods, <laughs> I went <laughs> to the Texas legislature and I said sperm no less than three million times. And I think that I made people so wildly uncomfortable. And they just were like, how do I get the hell, this girl out the hell out of my office? Um, let's just pass a bill. And and there were two, there were many wonderful legislators, but there was Chris Heckman, who was a lobbyist that helped me. Um, I was way more concerned about my top 10 friends in my space when I was in college. So I didn't know how the government worked. Um, so he helped me navigate that. And then Senator Huffman and Representative Stephanie Click, they, um, with, with 48 hours before the deadline, wrote a complete bill and put this in the sexual assault penal codes. And we had four months and we passed it. Okay. Can we just take a second, everybody who is listening and say that Eve is the divine feminine energy that we all aspire to be. Like, whoa. I mean. You're sweet. <laughs> holy shit. Girl. I, 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 I love I, everything about that, everything that I, I know about you. you just, and it's like, and I see you doing that, just going, I'm going to change the fucking law. So I'm going to grab my cutest pink outfit and walk down to King City Hall and do this. And I know that like this is not something you have training in. This is not something you have a degree in. But you are like, this is wrong. I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that is so inspiring. It is so impressive. I mean, do you take a second, like every once in a while, because I know you're so focused on getting the job done, but do you ever take a second to just go, holy shit, I'm a fucking badass because you are. I no, mean, because it's so hard for me to like hear and accept feedback like that. So I, I just I just listen to you do it. I'm like, yeah, what she said. <laughs> no, but it's but it is like that is an amazing badass moment. And I just like hearing it sort of like encompassed in the way that you did was just, oh my God. I I mean goddess who? I mean seriously. Just <laughs> absolutely inspiring um but i want to touch back on something that you you sort of talked about because whenever i talk about fertility fraud everybody always is like how the hell is this not illegal how does this not count as fraud how does this not count as sexual assault everybody is so confused by it and you sort mm -hmm. of and you just touched on it and i just really want to underline it because it's the biggest question i get and i feel like it's so important for us to understand why isn't fertility fraud, the act of switching out the chosen donor DNA with the doctor's own illegal. Specifically underline this because this is so important to understand. Because we do not recognize fraud as deception and deception is fraud. Also, we don't have any laws around it. The our nail salons are more regulated than the fertility industry. And so we have a statute of limitations issues. We don't have a discovery rule. So this happened 36 years ago. And the way that our medical board in Texas specifically, the way that our medical claims work for the medical board is we have the Texas Medical Board Liability Act. And then we also have a 10-year statute of repose. And so once you get past those statute of limitations, you can't file a claim. 
So even when it comes from a civil cause of action, we don't even, you, you can't even get through that because it's a medical claim and it's going to get kicked to TMLA. And so specifically, each state is a little bit different, but in Texas, that's how it worked. But across the board, we have a statute of limitations issues. Okay, so essentially, when we talk about, and, and we talk about the infertility industry as a whole, how like, and you just said, like, uh, nail salons are better regulated than the infertility industry. This mm -hmm. is an immensely unregulated industry. And this industry profits off of the creation of sentient lives. And we can clearly hear, by the way that you're talking about it, that there are these huge holes Massive, massive holes that that mm -hmm. these lack of regulations leaves in which these very unethical scary doctors can just kind of walk through mm -hmm. which yeah. which is why we need basic regulations i mean we need a lot of regulations because this is a very complex act of medicine but this is like what you are advocating for is, in my opinion, the most basic of basic like we can't move to point b until we get point a done and, and how and we decide how we decide on fertility fraud, which is a bipartisan bill. We can get everyone to agree pretty much that fertility fraud is wrong. How we decide on that determines how we decide on legislation going forward, on things that that are partisan. And so you're right, it is a foundation that is really important because when when we have nothing, we don't have a landscape um, yeah. to to even remotely look at this. And so at least we're putting definitions in our penal codes. So whenever more legislation comes about, we have we have a, a reference point, a starting point. We have a penal code to add things to. And so that is to your point. That is why it's really important. It gets the conversation started. It yeah. also gives me the opportunity to walk into these offices to legislators and tell them about other things that are going on in the industry or things that are on the horizon. And and our technology is just increasing at a rapid pace. And just like yeah. with everything, our laws are always 30 years behind. But mm -hmm. with ART in particular, I mean, we're looking at like a 70 or an 80 year gap at this point just because it's happening so rapidly. Um, but legislators, they, they have a hard time. They don't really want to touch this, especially in this post Roe versus Wade era that we're in um, of that flipping um, because it gets confused. A lot of these people who are making these decisions for us, they don't even know how a woman's body works. They don't know the difference between an IUI or IVF. And so they don't know the difference okay. between an egg or an embryo, but we're asking them to make all these things. And so I have to go in and be like, hey, here's your education 101. And um, there's a lot Dude, of definitions you got to know. We're <laughs> lucky. We are lucky if we know that if these legislators know that we don't pee out of the same hole that exactly <laughs> that that the baby comes out of like that that we're lucky yeah. if they know that um right this is our baseline here guys <laughs> i mean it's just like jesus okay um but okay so this this is fantastic um so i i have a couple more questions um before we move on because again um so something that we learned in our father because um, we saw a case of it, but you and I mo know, both know that there have been other cases of when a couple goes in for IVF. And so, like, the, the dad is present. We know the exact sperm that needs to be used. The doctor switches the dad's sperm out for his own. We saw this in Dr. Klein. We know of other doctors who have done this as well. Um, uh, you know, Barwin of Canada, we know, did this as well. Um, Mine? Your, oh, my God, yours did that as well? Oh my god! I have siblings where it was supposed to be the dad. It was never supposed to be a donor. 
how is mm. now and again this is like okay, okay so fertility fraud in general is horrible and disgusting like that's horrible and i always get this question on my tiktok saying like but how is that how is that even still acceptable how does how, I, I mean again this isn't meant to take away from anybody who goes uh, uh, go through fertility fraud, but when the couple comes in and we're like, no, 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 this is the couple. We're not using a donor. We're not using an anonymous donor. And they switch out the dad's sperm for his own. Mm -hmm. How is that not covered? How, how is that considered not illegal? It's still the same. No, it, it's, still, it's still the same thing. It's still a statute of limitations issue. It's... So disgusting. I, I mean, and like, you know, we, we've met victims of that and it is heartbreaking. I can't, I can't, oh my God, my heart just goes out for, my heart goes out to everybody who goes through for, uh, through mm -hmm. fertility fraud. But like, that does take a particular form of like insidiousness from the doctor's mm -hmm. part. Oh my God. Okay. So, um, but yes, I do want to talk about the specific states and different legislatures uh, as to why or why not they will not touch it. Can you please list the states that have currently passed the fertility fraud legislation? So, um, Indiana, that's the one that Jacoba, they started, um, Indiana and Texas, they were a week apart. Um, California already had a bill that was stemming from a case in the 1990s of Teresa Erickson where she was selling embryos. So California already had theirs. So California, Texas, Indiana, um, Florida, Colorado, Arizona, Arkansas, Utah, um, Kentucky, Ohio, and Iowa. So okay. there now there's 11, and five years ago there was one. And so now we have seen um, all of these fertility fraud victims. Um, all of us have banded together, and um, yes, you and have. We support one another, and, yes. and and we now we have eleven, and we have a federal fertility fraud bill. And so it's really been this kind of grassroots. You know, it was interesting. COVID actually made it easier for us because mm -hmm. we were able to testify virtually instead. Like in Florida, I was eight months pregnant, flying to go testify in Florida, and post COVID, I could just do it like this. Um, so we've been able to get a lot of traction. Now we have a federal fertility fraud bill, um, House Bill uh, 451. So if you're listening, uh, call your members of Congress in the House and tell them to sign on. Um, you can go to my Instagram and get more information. And um, yeah, so we're trying to get this kind of blanketed so we don't have to do this um, state by state. We have a great sample of model legislation. Well, I, okay, Be, because we're going to go definitely more into depth about the fertility fraud legislation soon and what people can do about it. But I have to ask the question that I get all the time, and this is going to be arguably one of the most controversial questions I probably ask, but I get asked it all the time. When you make that list of the states that have passed the fertility fraud legislation, they're almost all red states. Red states are not exactly known for their... Um, reproductive rights let's just let's let's say that they're they're not exactly known for it i am shocked and i am embarrassed that new york has like my home state of new york Ugh. has not passed the fertility fraud legislation that fucking florida beat us to it like what the what the fuck is that bullshit new york and the fact well, that there's a lot of backstory with new york too oh my but i yeah so i want to know why not new york but why red states are beating the blue states, which feel like this is like 
blue state bread and butter right here. This feels like this should be a very easy progressive cause. And I and my listeners, my followers, and I want to understand wh- where this cognitive dissonance is. Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. Um, I think a lot of it is really unintentional because so what what happens is someone will Google me or Jacoba or Maya or someone, they'll see an article and they'll reach out to us and they'll say, hey, I'm also a victim of this. And we kind of had this process of um you know, it was really important for me to become the person that I didn't have because I didn't know what to do. And I, it would have been really nice for someone to be like, you know, here are all of your options so you can make an informed decision. Mm -hmm. And so if they want to get connected with an attorney and go the non-disclosure route, here's a list of attorneys. If they want to do legislation, I will, you know, all of us, we will help you. Whatever you want to do, we will help Mm -hmm. you. And so that's kind of how these states are is because these states had victims that were willing to come forward with their story, that were willing to um, to find that purpose in their pain and to do something with it. And so I don't really know if it was so much of a focus on red states doing it. Um, it was just more of a focus that there were there were really active um, stories and victims in these states. Um, and that's, that's kind of how it was with this. Now, I will say there are some blue states that we have had legislation um, filed for a while and there has been no movement. Um, for example, New York. So New York. Um, what the fuck, New York? What do I got to do? What, what, who, what doors do I need to bang on here? Because I'm very, very upset at New York right now. What the so fuck, guys? New, and there are a lot of doctors in New York yes. that have done this. Yes. And I, I have actually taken a step back for several reasons with New York. Um, In late 2019, we started working on a bill with a victim in New York. And um, that representative did not get reelected. And so Mm -hmm. from there, she passed the baton on. And so then we started working with that office. Um, At the same time, another bill was filed. And then there was another group that was working in New York, and um, they ended up having additional bills filed. And so when when they came in, it essentially started working against us because we were working with one party and they were working with another party. Mm -hmm. And then there was all the sexual assault stuff with... was it the mayor? Not the mayor. Someone. Oh, the governor. Governor Cuomo. The governor. The governor. Oh, sorry, mayor. The governor. <laughs> and so then, oh my bad. <laughs> the governor. 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 Um, yeah. And know, so we don't we don't give a fucking shit. You can call him mayor. Yeah. Care. <laughs> that one. You know what I'm talking about. And so then it really became a partisan issue, and it was the inability of these two parties to work together because they wanted it for their side. And there were four bills that were filed, and it just got too confusing, and it started all working against each other. And so it was just not, at that point, a good resource of my time. And so I stepped back from that one and started focusing on some other states. Um, Ironically, Ohio was the hardest one. We worked for years and years and years to get that one passed. Um, But pretty much every other one has just been a one-session bill, um, with the exception of Ohio. So that's kind of like the very, like in a nutshell version of New York. So calling and encouraging any of them to work together um, (laughs) because it is a bipartisan bill. And, And sometimes legislators want to keep it partisan, and that's unfortunate. Uh, okay, so New York, this is your warning. I am coming for you. Get your shit together now. In her sperm Okay, suit. 
In my fucking sperm suit. You don't want me showing up in your sperm suit. Get your shit together now, okay? Because I will fucking show up. Um, swim through your halls. <laughs> I will start running through your goddamn halls. So, okay. Um, how many doctors have we caught doing this absolutely egregious act in the United States? And this is so a global identity- epidemic, but we're, we're focusing on the United States right now. Um, I've identified over 70 doctors in the U.S. that have done this. Wait, what? That number jumped the last time you and I talked about this. 70? 70? 70. Mm-hmm. 70? I- and I've even had to sign non-disclosure agreements. Um, because here's the frustrating part is when we don't have a landscape for a civil or a criminal cause of action, you have your choice of coming forward and working on legislation but I got to tell you, that's hard. And when you yeah. are already going through this existential crisis and you're going through this with your family, living out your your most private um, thing that is just destroying you in the public eye and people are awful, um, it's not for everyone. Um, yeah. and, and I would be yeah. lying if I said at times it would have been easier to just do nothing. Um, the other option is to sign a non-disclosure agreement and money will never make this right. But no. money can give you the time and the space to heal. And um, and and that is always an okay option. Um, but it comes with consequences. And those consequences are suffering in silence. Those consequences are not coming forward. And so people don't know they're victimized, not holding the doctor accountable in a public way. So the doctor can continue to practice and he um, his reputation can be intact. So there's not really... You know, those are two very incomplete justices, right? When it would just be better to be like, well, we have a lot. Now we can go through like the actual justice system and, you know, and you don't have to do all of this emotional labor to, um, to, to get justice. And so, um, that, that's a really frustrating um, part, but it, but it is an option. Okay. So we have identified 70 doctors in the United States who have done this. How, and that's all been done through commercial DNA testing, like 23andMe and Ancestry. Mm -hmm. How many people are we now up to taking a commercial DNA test in 2023? What what is the percentage of the population? I think the last number, man. It's like 17%. I was going to say, I I felt like it was under 20%. I think it's like around like uh, 15, 16, 17, something like that. I think so. So we're and just, I mean. I, I mean, and uh, I mean, obviously the amount of donor, we, we will never know how many donor conceived people exist within the United States, but, and like, obviously the number goes in waves, but I know that in 1995, at least it was projected that 50,000 donor conceived people were made by the industry alone. So right. if we, and, and again, that number has like gone down and up throughout the years. So that's like, it's not consistent. Um, but if, so like let's say let's let's 17 percent of the united states population has taken a commercial dna test and we've already identified 70 doctors mm-hmm. is a terrifying idea um has there so obviously we, we've heard of all the doctors who have essentially like gotten away with this have there been any doctors who have actually been like sufficiently punished Dr. Klein um, paid a $500 fine for obstruction of justice. That's literally it. A fucking $500 fine is like the worst that's happened. Mother. Oh, 
like, I was at least hoping like there'd be like this one case where I'd be like, well, the judge was like, fuck you. And was like, ah, okay. I'm fine. I'm fine. Okay. So some things happen with Cecil Jacobson, but like not really. Oh, you want to know something that'll really piss you off? Yes. Yes. Tell me. Tell me. Take a deep breath. Okay, I'm ready. So, n- me so not not only um, the doctors do this and get away with it and all that kind of stuff. My doctor still has his medical license despite medical board complaints being filed against him. I had to go back and change another law in Texas that entered a discovery rule for this into the medical board. So that way, when I have a new sibling that comes up, they have two years. There's now a two-year discovery rule. So they have two years to file a claim with the medical board just so the medical board can take his license. And what they are doing is he actually just lost um, his appeal a month ago, and he appealed it again. So he'll appeal it all the way up to the Texas Supreme Court, and then it'll get kicked back down. So that could take like seven to ten years. And he can still practice because he has a restraining order against the Texas medical board, so they can't serve him papers. (laughs) <laughs> wait, what? How can you get? Wait, whoa, 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 whoa! You can get mm-hmm. an order of protection against a medical board, yeah. so that they can't. S- whoa, that is a loophole. Okay, mm-hmm. and I had to go back and change it. I'm like, how is this even a thing? So basically, how what is he's saying is that there is a seven year statute of limitations for medical board complaints, and the medical board said this is um, this is not standard level of care. Um, This is unethical conduct and behavior, which does not carry a statute of limitations. And so he has asked the courts to not to debate the, um, the details of the case, but only to debate who has jurisdiction with the seven year statute of limitations under standard level of care versus unethical conduct and behavior, which does not have a statute of limitations. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. And all right. Okay, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. We're okay. Uh We're breathing. We are accepting. We are whoo. Okay. Now. Hydrating. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so let's go back to your story for a second. When you came out with this story, and because I really want people to understand this, we all listen to you, and I know that, like, I am not the only one radiating with anger about what has happened to you and all of your, all of the moms, all of the dads, all all of the kids and everything you were attacked by your small town. You were, the articles that were written up against you were disgusting. I mean, they Mm -hmm. rallied around that doctor. Can you describe what that was like and what happened? I mean, it was was awful. It was, um, you know, this is what happens when you have rape culture and um, you have this victim shaming and blaming and you know, it, it was impossible for these people to separate the deception around my conception to their personal feelings about this doctor because he had delivered all of their babies. He was their doctor and he was this pillar in the community and, you know, just, you know, a very strong member of the Church of Christ and, you know, just such such a good person. So it was really hard for them to understand and accept any information that he could do something like this. And so it was really easy for them to create a narrative of, you know, he gave her life and, you know, you have a duty to honor your mother and your father. And no. um, which is so funny because I'm like, wait a second, mm-hmm. you just said that 
I that you're not my father. This is very confusing. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, you wanted a baby and you got one. Um, you've got doctor genes. Um, you're pretty. What are you complaining about? I mean, Ew. all of these marginalizing comments that, that, that had nothing to do with the deception around my conception. And so it was just this continuing marginalization. But they did. There were um, letters to the editor that were printed in the newspaper um, about how I should just be grateful. And everybody in the community has a duty to um, support Dr. McMorris and his practice. And um, they had the preacher come, like an older preacher come and talk to the congregation. And there was a lot of talk about the devil's work. And um, I mean, just the good thing is, is that I'm no longer in that community. Um, But it was really, really difficult to see this really small and it wasn't everyone, but it it was a it was a large amount of people um, that really did rally against him. But it's it's rape culture, victim blaming and shaming. And it's well, and and you think because you are from a small town. So, and how many, how many siblings have you found so far? So there's 14 of us, but three of those are his social children. We just had one pop up a few weeks ago. Oh my God. So we can, I think, take a pretty, pretty darn good guess that you've got more siblings out there in that small town who have no idea, who refuse to get a DNA test. Mm-hmm. At essentially their own incestual risk. My sister is in the same hospital as our brother, and they work together. Um, he will be a patient of the mom, and she's a patient of the child. Their children are in the same kindergarten class. She just found this out. And so it's, (gasps) I mean, how do you not know? So the accidental incest is, is the number one concern. And when the doctor has been asked, you know, how many times you did this? He has no idea. He says, I wish I had my records. I don't know. And so, um, but his story, you're going to love this. His story is I, that I'm not going to love this, Eve. I'm not going to love this. Okay. All his right, medical school days. This is the story he gave me, is that he gave me that there were five of us in his program, mm-hmm. um, and there were only two or three live births. The others ended in miscarriage. And so he went to his medical school days, which would have been about 12 years before I was conceived, and got his, um, when he was a donor and got the straw from none but he didn't know his donor number um yeah there's no way to cross check that because the they don't have a donor program anymore and he drove those sperm vials back and that's what he used to inseminate my mom wait wait whoa 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 whoa, whoa. back it up okay okay mm-hmm. hold on okay mm-hmm Okay. I was supposed to buy right. that, I think. I was like, honey, I was born last night. Or not last night, I guess I should say. What? The stories that these guys weave is... Mm-hmm. So, okay. So far, what is the age range of you and your siblings? Um, It would be almost 15 years. Okay, so we we have at least a 15-year range, but we know that it could be bigger. That's huge. Oh, my God. Okay, And one of them, the oldest one, is legitimately probably from his donor days because he wasn't in private practice then. So that one is legitimately—she didn't know if he was the doctor in the clinic or not, but that one— 
with the year difference. But I mean, we, and I've been able to talk to former people that have worked there and, um, you know, he had closed the program down within his nurses and then there's a sibling that was born four years after that. So he was still doing this. I don't know for how long, but he was still doing it. But we've been able to um, look at pictures on Facebook and look at people's kids and identify. We've we found three that way just by looking at pictures, and we've sent them DNA tests oh and their siblings. But also in a small town, I'm I'm this like I'm not short. I'm five seven. I'm pretty average, but all of my siblings are over six feet. So if you have a woman in East Texas who is six two, we're pretty easy to identify at this point. Wow. Oh my God. Okay. So, okay. Um, so as, as we go into our, our our next little portion of sort of understanding this, um, and we're, and I just want to give a little bit of a trigger warning out to the listeners, because we're about to start really talking about some, uh, I mean, we have been talking about sexual assault this whole time, but we're going to be talking, I think a a little bit, we're going to go a little bit darker down the rabbit hole a little bit, but I do think that this is important to understand and to talk about. Um, I know that your Dr. Daddy, Kim McMorris was one of the doctors who not only was switching out the donor sperm for his own, but he also was the OBGYN for his biological daughters. Now, Mm -hmm. obviously, those daughters did not know that he was their biological father, but he knew was doing physical pelvic exams on them. But he's not the only fertility fraud case that's done this. Um, We also know Dr. Klein from Our Father did this. We also know Dr. Wartman of Rochester, who is still in fucking practice, did this as well. Mm -hmm. Are there any other doctors who have committed fertility fraud who also did this heinous act, or is it just those three so far? No, there's there's definitely more. And I think that... Mostly it's because either one, you went to the OB that your mom did, so it's a familiar pathway, um, or you're living in a small town where you don't have a lot of options. But yes, there are definitely more. Has there have, has anyone ever asked them saying like, obviously like, uh, how, how was, how did you just not turn them down as patients? How did you... Oh my God. It's a great question to ask. You know, I think these doctors are just so compartmentalized and so separated from all of this. I think that they just simply see it as just another pap smear. And um, it just, this is why ethics are so important, right? And this is why people talk about the blurring of those ethics. And and this is why in a lot of states, you can't operate on family members um, because it's also the projection of, you know, their compartmentalization and the way that they experience this is not what the patient is. And we know that, you know, a patient is, I mean, this is their life. They're the one that's on the receiving end of the trauma. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's pretty messed up. So then let's talk about the motive, because again, that's also the question that I get all the time is like, well, why did these doctors do this? And I mean, obviously like this is sexual assault. Sexual assault is a form of control and power. So that is why. And I mean, you know, there, there's so much more in the weeds that we can go, but I would love to know what these doctors at least say are their reasons, even if maybe it's covering up the actual reason. I would love to know what at least their, how they made it okay in their heads. 
Well, yeah, I, like what was the mental gymnastics? Yeah, what kind of like Olympics was, are they doing in their head? For them, what is their motivation? Like, why, what are they saying as to their justification of this egregious act of fertility? So most of them say that they wanted an anonymous sperm donor and they wanted a baby and they got one. And they couldn't find a, a donor to do the fresh insemination. Um, the donor didn't show up. Um, they... Mine, for example, I think that he, as he explained in a letter, he took it really hard. He took it personally when someone did not get pregnant. And, you know, that's a boundary issue. Obviously, it's not about him. It's about his patient. Um, and so I think that that's what a lot of them say. I think that for a lot of these doctors, um, there is this personality access to on the DSM type thing. There's some, some sort of personality disorder of like of narcissism. Um, you know, this God complex. And I mean, you think about it this way, these doctors, when they play God, when they say, um, you know, when God fails and can't give them a baby the natural way, um, I am God, I create the life. And I think that that feeds a power, you know, that is, I think is very intoxicating for a lot of these doctors and especially the ones that already have or are predisposed to some personality things anyway. Um, it puts them in a, in a, you know, big position of power. You also have the money side of it. Um, it is very expensive to ship sperm, to freeze sperm in those nitrogen tanks. Um, it takes a lot of work to just acquire the sperm. And so I just think it was the easy way out. How was anybody going to find out? No one could have even thought that you could spit into a tube and $49 later be connected to thousands of your relatives. Nobody even thought about that. No, I mean, 23 and me, I always joke that like uh, the commercial DNA test, like like to us, if you told us that that would exist in the 90s, we'd be like, okay, Star Trek, like whatever. But I know, right? Um, but as soon as you talked about that, the God p- complex of it all, it just really hit me and it was just like, oh God, yeah, they really were just like, well, when God fails, I step in, I am yes. an Avenger. Like it really, yeah, it, it really is. And this, nobody's watching. Nobody's and watching. No, n- you didn't have to have another nurse in the room when they were doing this. Um, you know, you don't, you don't tell your body when to ovulate. So if you're ovulating on a Sunday, you're coming in on a Sunday with just you and the doctor. And um and and eat, let's let's say even then if they did get caught, you're still living in a landscape where it's not illegal, it's not a crime. So even if yeah. you do it and you get caught, there's nothing to 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 keep you from doing it. To uh, you have no one that's going to be like, "Oh, now you're going to have this fine and this and this and this and this because it wasn't a crime." So of course they could do crime. it. Oh my God. Um, okay. All right. So, uh, uh, if everybody is as horrified as I am right now, we need to do something about this. We need to do something. We need to, um, if Eve could wake up and just go, I'm going to change the motherfucking law. We can all wake up and go, I'm going to change the motherfucking law too. We can all do this together. We're going to join Eve and we're going to get this done. That's what's going to happen. I've decided we're all doing this together, guys, everybody. So I want everybody who's listening. I'm going to give y'all just a moment right now. I need you to get a piece of paper, uh, get your phone out, do whatever it is. Just get something that that you're going to write this down on. Okay. Cause we're going to get the fertility fraud legislation passed federally. That's what we're going to do. Uh, now I joined Eve in January with the other fertility fraud advocates who are probably some of the most badass human beings I have ever met in my life. Like their light and energy, like you guys are all like 
amazing individuals. Like you guys are all just They're fucking sweet. amazing. <laughs> no, but you are like you, I just, I, it was such a, it was such an incredible like honor and privilege being able to um, just kind of be there with you guys. And um, so the fertility fraud legislation would make the act of switching out the chosen donor DNA with their own or any other that they feel like illegal. Correct. Yes. So, but it would have to be knowingly a misrepresenting that DNA. So let me give you an example of what it would not be. It would not be an unintentional switch. It would not be, oops, we grabbed the wrong sperm vial. That would be fertility negligence. This is a very narrowly tailored bill. And, and, and there is some, you know, debate and feedback of, you know, these bills are so nearly tailored. And the reason why is because we really try and limit um, the unintentional consequences of, of a bill. And, you know, when we know what we are making illegal, it limits um, the unintentional consequences. But also, we don't want to conflate um, fertility negligence from fertility fraud. So we don't want the person who didn't intentionally do this to be going to prison um, because their clinic didn't require them to have a, a barcode system. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so this, um, the federal bill would make it. It's going into um, Section 109A, which is a sexual assault penal code. So um, we also extended the statute of limitations to 10 years. And for the federal hook here is um, is we put it under the RICO clause, which is the racketeering um, part of it. Because what we're also finding is that a lot of these clinics, the doctors, they were saying, you use my sperm, I use your sperm. And so it was more of this organized crime. Um, and so that's kind of our federal hook to, um, to get more... Um, laws that would allow for a subpoena. So for example, all of us, we still can't get our medical information because of HIPAA. And so in order to get around HIPAA, you can subpoena it, but you have to have a judge that'll do that. And this gives a clear pathway, but it also offers civil and criminal causes of action. um, So you can recover some of that. So it is, while it is a narrowly tailored bill, it is a, um, it's a meaty bill that does exactly what we want it to do. Oh, my God. Okay, and so. I want to brag on you for a second. Um, I will say Ohio would not have passed without Laura because um, all of these listeners rallied together. And we just had a few days before session was over. And, you know, all of you guys flooded the um, the phone calls and the emails. And, and and it worked. And and I say this all the time that as much as, you know, we do as the advocates and the victims um, to get this legislation passed, we could not do it without the people who are making the calls. And um, and that's you guys. That's the listeners. And um, you guys are our boots on the ground. And you guys bring the energy and the manpower um, to get this done. So, I mean, really, it's while while we're doing the initial work, it is, it's people like you. Every phone call, every email, yes. it, every intro, it helps so much. So if you've ever made a call or sent an email, you give yourself a pat on the back. <laughs> And I, 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 I thank my, I thank my, my followers and my listeners unbelievably so much for doing that work. And it worked. It, it did. Like, 
it, Ohio passed. And that was so unbelievably cool. And to, and I know right now we, we question our legal system so much, uh, for rightfully so, but we can make a difference with this. And this is something that's so easy, that's so simple, that we can, we can fix. We can make the world a little bit better right now. So what we need everybody to do is, like, let's continue that Ohio magic and let's get the fertility fraud legislation passed federally. Because um, right now what we have to do is we have to get this put on the calendar for voting, correct? It, right? Yes. So right now it's in the Judiciary Committee and um, we have 32 authors. And what you're doing to your um, House representative in Congress Mm -hmm. is you're asking them to sponsor this bill because the more sponsors we get on this bill, the Criminal Justice Committee or the Judiciary Committee, they will say, we got to put this bill on the calendar. They will Mm -hmm. vote it out. It will go to the floor. Then it will be voted on. And then we'll repeat the same process in the Senate. Okay, so everybody, um, what you need to do is find your local representative, um, mm-hmm. and you need to call them, you need to email them, um, you, they always provide both, and you need to say, I want you to sponsor HR 451, the Fertility Fraud Legislation, and I want you guys to email them constantly you can Mm -hmm. it is they work for you you badger them you bother them get and you say you're a constituent yeah you say as a constituent this is important to me and if you go to my instagram which is eve e-v-e-a wiley w-i-l-e-y i have templates up there and you can also include my email address to say, hey, I want a Zoom or I want a meeting or a phone call with you. And um, and you want me present so I can explain it. We have had probably 15 sponsors added to the bill that way. Um, so it's, you know, your level of engagement is yours, but there's also that option as well to make it, to really put some pressure on them. <laughs> Absolutely. Put some pressure on these guys because this is, again, this is easy. This is simple. Okay. So every, so just again, to repeat, you are going to be emailing or calling, preferably both and preferably multiple times. Set that date in your calendar reminder that you're going to just be doing this all the time. Get your family, get your friends. You find out who your local, um, you find out who your le- legislature is. You say that I'm a constituent. I am registered to vote. And you say, I would like you to sponsor HR 450. One, the fertility fraud legislation and follow what Eve, what is your handle again on Instagram? It's Eve A. Wiley. You can just search Eve Wiley and I should pop up. Now Eve is, so if you need help with your state, Eve is the person to go to. Now this is something that I, everybody should be thinking about who potentially knows, like I probably will be using donor conception in the future. And I live in a state where the fertility fraud legislation has not been passed now is your time. This is it. Like you want to ensure your safety and like your community's safety. Anybody who's using donor conception, start fighting for this now. So call Eve, start calling your legislatures now. This is easy. This is simple. This is like, to me, this is like bottom of the floor, basic legislation. Like there, like what, how can we move forward with legislation and regulations? If we can't even get this fucking thing passed. Um, mm-hmm. So everybody, please do that. If we did that with Ohio, there's no reason why we can't do that federally. Bother your legislatures. They work for you. All Amen. right, Eve, is, <laughs> is there anything else that we have not touched on that we that you are that you think is really important to mention? Anything that we forgot that you're like, I, I want this to be highlighted. 
No, I think you, I mean, you, girl, you did your homework. You came prepared. <laughs> um, I do. Oh, you know what? I do have one question. How has the industry reacted to you over the years? How have they treated you? How have they reacted to what you're, yeah. How have they, like, um, that pause is not good. I don't like that pause. The fact that you're just like, oh my God, they were great. They were awesome. It's just like, mm-hmm. where, where should I start? Um, I kind of feel like they treat me like a, an annoying mosquito where they're just like, oh, go away, but like ignore it. Um, what? You know, they, uh, right. They just like, like ASRM is, has traditionally been like, we don't think it's happening anymore. We're not going to address it. We don't want to blow it up. Um, Sean Tipton is not their best mouthpiece. Um, don't even uh, get me for, started on him. For anybody who, who doesn't know, ASRM is the American Society of Reproductive Medicine. They constitute the guidelines for the clinics and cryobanks to follow. Now, I want to be very clear. The guidelines, not the laws and regulations, the guidelines. Mm-hmm. So guidelines are optional. Think um, think uh, like Pirates of the Caribbean. It's more like a guideline. Like that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, Professional organizations that are dues are paid for by doctors. So there is a vested interest in protecting doctors and keeping things mm. nice and loose. So oh, um, they came out in Florida when there was like a really meaty bill, you know, putting like um, regulations on the clinics, standard practices, mm. and they came out in full force and opposed me. But I will say as of late, they have, um, they've left me alone. And I do know that they Good. will remain neutral on this bill. And okay. that is, you know, I will take it. I would love it if they would support it, but mm. whatever. They just basically, they just ignore me and I'm just going to keep, you know, being a little annoying mosquito what? for him. Now, I will say, and this is going to shock you, we do have one letter of support that is supporting this bill from a sperm and an egg bank. Oh my you God. You want to guess which one? Oh, well, actually, I do know which one. So, like, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I actually, I do know which one it is, but, uh, but let, let's, but let's surprise everybody and say, like, this one is doing it. Fairfax. So, Fairfax is coming out and supporting. They okay. wrote a letter of support, and they sent it to all of the legislators saying that they support this bill. They are the first people, okay. the first organization in this entire industry that has taken okay. a stance against fertility fraud. And all right, I appreciate all right. it. I, I appreciate it. I, I mean, I have been extremely publicly critical of Fairfax. That is not hard to find on my TikTok or nor my Instagram. Um, but something that I have been actively saying is you big clinics and cryobanks specifically, mm-hmm. your old way of doing things is no longer going to work. It's not going to. Right now, this is, right now you're in your survival era. That is what's about to happen. The evidence that is coming out right now, y'all are playing essentially roulette of who's going to go bankrupt first. That's what's about to happen. The smartest thing for clinics and cryobanks to be doing right now is coming out and supporting advocates like you, Eve, and going like, yes, we fucking do this. Yes, we fucking support this. That is how you are going to survive is by you actively coming out and supporting donor-conceived people because those records are what's going to matter. Now, I am still not at a point where I am going to be recommending any clinic or cryobank to anybody before I see 
um, more legislations passed, and I see some real accountability being taken by these clinics and cryobanks. But I will 100% put on my little leaderboard behind me going, okay, Fairfax did something. They stepped up in this moment, and I do appreciate it. That is validated, and I will publicly say thank you for that. I do appreciate it. Now let's see some more Fairfax. This is a great path that you're on. And also, just very strategically, if you are the cryobank, you are the clinic to be doing this and you are like beating other clinics and cryobanks to this punch, dude, you're going to, you're the one who's going to survive. Hands down, you're going to be the one who survived and you're going to be able to put that like little ethics moral trophy like on the shelf over everyone else. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because I, you know, I, I, I respect, I, I don't respect the, um, we're just going to not breathe life into this and, and ignore it. I don't really respect that. But I do respect anyone, any clinic, any organization mm-hmm. that um, that has that accountability of, wow, yeah. did not know that that was going on within our industry. Yes. We recognize, validate, hold space for that. And, yes. um, and, and we're going to repair it here. And we are going mm-hmm. to support your efforts that are reasonable. You know, this is a reasonable effort to support. Um, and, and to get behind that. And, and I do have a yes. lot of respects because I'm sure that, that there was a little bit of a risk involved in there, but yeah. that tells me that, that they're willing to listen, but more than that, that, that they're willing to grow. And yeah. that tells me that when you can have these organizations and these people get behind it, that, um, that the, there's a level of respect there. And I think that, um, people will respect the validity of, yeah. of, you know, of their company. And so I think that, you know, there, there's something to be said about that. But they're only one, y'all. There's only one. That was (laughs) only one. (laughs) And it's like now, now Fairfax, you need to show that same energy for like the donor conceived persons protection act with Laura Gunner. That one's kind of on you guys. Like you, you, that would be your next one. But I do appreciate this, that this is a choice that y'all have done and I'm seeing it and I'm witnessing it. Um, and I do appreciate that. And that's why I'm, I'm totally 100% willing to publicly acknowledge that. Um, because for me, I know that so many of the clinics and cryobanks, like as you kind of said, like with ASRM is like, oh no, 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 that's not really happening. Those problems don't really exist. That happened a long, long, long time ago. It's not happening now. So blah, blah, blah. The reason why I don't really believe clinics and cryobanks with um, how they publicly present themselves now is due to the lack of accountability that they take for what they have done. There are so many pods, so many recipient parents, so many donors who have been actively hurt by these clinics and cryobanks. And instead of being supported, um, instead of these clinics and cryobanks, as you said, holding space for them, actively stepping in and doing the right thing, they're like, oh, well, we don't do that anymore, so shut up and goodbye. And Mm -hmm. that's why I I don't believe them now that they say like, oh, look at everything we do. Oh my God, we run everything so ethically. I'm like, I don't believe you because you're not holding space for the people you have hurt. Right. And and this is just what I say about my biological father. We wouldn't be talking today if he would have taken accountability. If he would have said what I did was wrong. Yes. Um, It was the thinking at the time. It is wrong. What can I do to make it right? Yeah. I'm a reasonable person. I could, you know, I, yeah. I would have said, let everybody know that you did this to you so we can all get our medical records and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I would have no reason to come forward. And so for anything that happens with this industry, that accountability piece is so important. It is yeah. so important. And I mean, clinics and cryobanks, you should be terrified because if Eve, who does not have a degree in this, wakes up and decide, if there's another Eve out there who wakes up and decides like, I'm going to motherfucking change this law and they do. 
What you're getting at is, is this whole, everything we've talked about today is the definition of karma. Yeah. You literally created this. You, you created your undoing. You created yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Karma. And so the best way for the clinics and the cryobanks and ASRM to get ahead of this is to start dealing with it as it's coming in. The more you push us, the, push us aside, the angrier we all get. And then I love, I love when they turn around and go like, oh, well, those are just angry DCP. I'm like, yeah, motherfuckers, we are angry assholes. We are angry. The gaslighting is out of control. Uh, it is. I am going to start making t-shirts just going, yeah, I'm an angry motherfucking DCP. Yes. I am emotional. 100%. Oh my God. I am. It's so annoying. But okay. So everybody has their orders. We are all going to go bother our local legislatures and we are going to go get HR 451. And everybody, everybody is going to wake up and try and be an Eve Wiley. Go be an Eve Wiley today. Go wake up and decide I'm going to go change the motherfucking law. I'm going to grab my pink jumpsuit. I'm going to go grab my pink blouse and I'm going to channel my Eve energy. And we are going to go change the law. Let's follow Eve by example. And just like and just like Jacoba, just like all of these amazing advocates, we're not going to let them just scream into the void by themselves. We all scream together. That's how we get this shit done. So, Eve, thank you so much for coming on. We can all find you on Instagram. And uh, as always, I love talking to you. I love hanging out with you. And I can't wait until we can hang out again. And uh, maybe I'll be in my sperm suit again. I might be. I <laughs> might be getting an update to the costume. There might be. Oh. I might have contacted a customer on, on Broadway to maybe make me a new one. So the next time we're on D.C., I, I might be having a, an updated version. Well, then I better step up my uh, pink closet. I lo- we are going to be in full garb just walking <laughs> into the building. Because you guys, don't, like, so we were in the Raymore building where, um, where the committees were being held, where the interviews were being done. So, like, I'm running around all these, like, congressmen's offices in my sperm suit. And all I was thinking, and all we were like, we're like, we have to see the security footage to this. Like, what are these security guards seeing is just this random fucking girl just running around, you know, doing parkour off the Raymore building in a sperm suit. Hilarious. Yeah. Well, you have always been my biggest cheerleader. So I'm so appreciative of all your support. And um, and yeah, so I couldn't couldn't do this without all that support. We, we do this together. It, it's, it, that's, that's the rule. We all, we all got to rally and we all got to join. You're leading the charge. So we all got to run behind you. All right. So everybody fo- go follow leave HR 451. Thank you all so much for listening to another episode of insemination. We will be back next week. We will be ovulating and I hope you all have a fantastic, fantastic week. I don't know about you, but I am most certainly taking a shower after this episode because yikes. Um, and I don't know what time it is for everyone else, but it is 1231 PM as I'm listening to this and I might be taking, I might be doing some day drinking. That might be what, what needs to happen after this conversation. Uh, please be safe drink responsibly and Eve thank you again for your time bye